This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Canada's public broadcaster says it won't be tweeting for now because of how the social media platform has labeled the organization. At issue is Twitter's move to tag CBC's corporate page as government-funded media, a label demanded by opposition leader Pierre Polyev, who says now CBC is officially exposed, calling it Trudeau propaganda, not news. The fact that he has to run to American billionaires for support to attack Canadians says a lot about Mr. Polyev and his values. Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, has recently been adding similar descriptions to other public service broadcasters. As you just heard, Twitter and the CBC were recently in the spotlight with Twitter's decision to add a government-funded media label to the CBC Twitter account. The label, which has since been removed, is identified by Twitter as a media organization, and I'll quote, where the government provides some or all of the outlet's funding and may have varying degrees of government involvement over editorial content. CBC responded by pausing its Twitter activities on the grounds that stating its journalism was anything other than impartial and independent was untrue. Now, this issue invariably sparks heated rhetoric from both sides. Opponents of the CBC talk about propaganda, while its supporters invoke the notion of attacks on Canadian institutions. That talk obscures the reality that there is a discussion worth having about the CBC's independence, its transparency, and public reporting. Monica Allen, the executive director of Canada's Forum on Research and Policy and Communications, recently wrote about that issue. She joins me on the podcast to assess whether the CBC is as independent as it says it is. Monica, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Michael, and thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm really glad you, you came on. You, you had a really interesting blog post out this week that uh, sparked my interest, and I think it should spark a lot of people's interest, so I want to get into it. Its background is the recent controversy over Twitter labeling the CBC as a government-funded broadcaster, or 69% funded as it was at, at one point in time, which I have to say elicited much of the usual reaction from both supporters and critics of the CBC alike. You know, the critics, of course, maintain that the broadcasters, public broadcasters are beholden to public financing and that its coverage leans left. And so says, well, that label seems pretty appropriate to us. CBC supporters insist it's an attack on the public broadcaster, which they argue operates entirely independently. And we had uh, a number of former CBC employees making that case and saying, hey, it's right there in the statute. Now, the defining issue in the debate, though, was less about the question of public financing, which, of course, there obviously is, and more about the CBC's independence, since the label that Twitter had used talked about government involvement over editorial content. The CBC and some of its supporters insist there isn't any. But your post does a, a deep dive into the Broadcasting Act and basically concludes that the government has some pretty significant powers that, that seem to lack transparency and reporting over how those powers might be used. That could fairly lead to the conclusion that we don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. And so I want to unpack your post, but we might as well start with the financial side. You know, what percentage of public funds are the total of CBC's budget? And, and how frequently does even that notion of public appropriations arise within some of its reporting? Well, right now, two out of every three dollars that the CB has, CBC has to use comes from Parliament through appropriations. 
And in fact, uh, just last year, parliamentary appropriations for its operating work, its capital and its working capital made up 65.6% of its total funding. And the rest was earned by the CBC by selling ads, selling advertorials, as in tandem, and also selling subscriptions to discretionary TV services like CBC News Network and also to online services like Gem and Tout TV Extra. So, uh, you know, when, when we talk about how often it appears in what the CBC says publicly, typically not in terms of every report that you see on the news, but when you look at its annual report, for instance, it comes up fairly frequently. And so, in fact, when I counted the number of references that were made to the appropriations, whether the CBC described the appropriations as coming from Parliament which they do, or from government, which is actually not correct. It came up basically once every two pages or 66 times in the last annual report. Okay. So, so they, they deal with this quite a bit. It's on their minds. Yeah. And 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 as as it would be, I know you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find think of a business that uh, was reliant on a single source for two-thirds of its revenue that that didn't have that source on their mind in fact you know it's not trivial and and i think in other circumstances if it was the private sector if you did have a, a single single source providing two-thirds of the funding we'd typically expect that there'd be a pretty sizable say over operations including some of the the content but in this case cbc and cbc supporters say that isn't the case and they lean pretty heavily on three sections in the Broadcasting Act that they say protect CBC's journalistic, creative, and programming independence. You identify a couple of weaknesses, but first, what, what do those provisions say? Make the case uh, that they would make saying, you know, we're independent, it says so right in the statute. Okay, well, I'm not going to go through each of the three sections and identify them in laborious detail because that would bore people. But there are these three separate sections. And the first one says that the, the whole of the part in the Broadcasting Act that relates to the CBC has to be applied to protect and enhance CBC's freedom of expression and independence. Then the second one later on is that when it is achieving the objects or the goals that Parliament has created for the CBC, it must endorse is to enjoy freedom of expression and again, programming independence. And then finally, they say that, you know, that the CBC is not required to tell Treasury Board or the Minister of Heritage or the Minister of Finance anything that might compromise its own independence, whether journalistically, creatively, or in terms of programming. So there are these three specific sections that all serve to enable the, C the CBC to declare that it is independent. Okay. Uh, and so, and, and one can understand why someone would, would look at that. There are repeated references to, to that independence, and, and they would say, hey, you know, case closed. Uh, you argue otherwise, and you, you identify in your in your piece at least a couple of weaknesses specifically around this issue. There's some others we'll come to, but what do you see as some of the concerns still even within uh, within the, the, these these provisions? Well, the first one is that when you look at the three sections that deal with CBC's independence, they allow the CBC to be independent, but they don't require it to be independent. And that is very much like, for instance, and I hate to bring up my kids because I bring them up a lot, um, often in terms of the cleanliness of their rooms. But in any event, it's like saying children are allowed to be independent, but even when they're 35, they're going to come and ask you to go shopping for them at Costco. They're not fully. So, so there is a big difference between 
between being allowed to be independent and being required to be independent. And the second part of this is sort of related to the first, and that is that neither the CBC nor the government is required to disclose their interactions with each other. So we're, we're, we're required to assume that the CBC is exercising its independence, even though it receives, it, it needs $1.2 billion from Parliament through the government. And we're required to believe this despite the fact that we have no evidence to support its statements that it is independent. Okay. So the you know, and and this issue around transparency report and reporting comes up repeatedly. You know, the CBC talks about being independent. It's notable that, that, that there's been reports this week about meeting with uh, Pierre Polyev uh, as one of the you know one of its biggest critics. And you know if you're meeting publicly there with with one of your biggest critics in the opposition, what kind of meetings are taking place uh, with the government around the same time? That that might not be. As announced, and in fact, you do identify potential influence from a number of different sources, including uh, cabinet. And so, so why don't why don't we look there? You know, where do you see some of the potential influence of cabinet over CBC's operations? Well, typically in a private company, for instance, what I was taught in law school when I attended the University of Ottawa Faculty of Law, I was taught that the board of directors is essentially the guiding mind of the corporation. So here, who is actually the guiding mind of the corporation? Well, all of the directors on the CBC's board are appointed by cabinet. And whereas in most corporations, the board decides through a vote who shall be president. In fact, cabinet, the cabinet also decides who the president of the CBC is and who the CBC's chairperson is. Now, this kind of matters because the board is actually responsible under the Broadcasting Act, Section 39, for those who are interested. It's responsible for managing CBC's businesses, activities, and its other affairs. Then it says that the CBC may exercise the powers that the bylaws of the corporation and the bylaws are set by the board. So the board effectively gives the CBC president duties to perform. So the question is, suppose you had uh, a president who was appointed uh, hypothetically by by the, the purple government, and then the purple government lost the election, and then you had an orange government come in, or maybe orange is a bad color. Let's go with aqua blue. The aqua blue party comes into power and it decides to appoint an entire board of directors who are antithetical to the CBC president, which has happened in the past. There have been times when one government has appointed the president and other governments have appointed a majority of the board. What would happen then? And how would that relationship work out in real time? And what impact would that have then on CBC's programming decisions? Could cabinet's influence through the directors that it has appointed influence the CBC's decisions with respect to the president's activities? Then there's also the notion that cabinet can actually control CBC's distribution and marketing of its programming services outside of Canada. So imagine, since none of these uh, interactions between cabinet and the CBC are made public, suppose on the one hand, you had a government saying, CBC needs to make more money by selling abroad, while at the same time, cabinet tells the CBC behind closed doors, yeah, no, we don't want to give you authority to sell more programming abroad. That could be an extreme example. The point is we have no way of knowing because nothing is published. Then there's also the notion, and this is a really interesting one, 
where cabinet can require CBC to buy or sell shares in any company or, or corporation that is incidental or conducive to the CBC's goals. Well, suppose CB cabinet wanted the CBC to help out another corporation. How would anybody know what role cabinet had played? We wouldn't know. For instance, and this is not the case, CBC did not actually have to acquire shares, but you may remember that Telesat Canada launched the first satellites in Canada in the early 1970s. The catch was that very few people were using satellite for anything, including the telephone companies. And for at least 15 to 20 years, CBC was one of the largest purchasers of satellite channels through Telesat. That took up a large percentage of its resources, and the question was kind of, well, why? Because CBC was not into satellite distribution at the time. However, CBC's uh, acquisition of Telesats and its payment for Telesat services helped Telesat out a great deal. We don't know the background to that, and I doubt that we ever will. It's just an interesting aspect of how CBC does business, which is largely behind closed doors. Yeah, no, and as, as I mentioned, that lack of transparency uh, comes up repeatedly. You you also note in the post, so that, that was cabinet, you also note that the Treasury Board factors in here as well with uh, provisions where there might be influence, but again, we don't know. Uh, what, what are some of the examples you were able to identify? Well, one thing is, for instance, the annual report, and, and we know that we get a great deal of money. And at one point, I had to go through all of the CBC's annual reports from 1936 on. And you can see how they change. But but CBC is required under the Broadcasting Act to report both to the Minister of Canadian Heritage and to the President of Treasury Board. And the question is, I can understand CBC reporting to the Minister of Heritage. Why then does it also have to report annually to Treasury Board? And if there's an issue, for instance, suppose Treasury Board is worried about whether CBC is spending its money appropriately, surely that question is best left to the Auditor General, who is defined by by the Broadcasting Act as the CBC's auditor. And if the Auditor General thought there were a problem, I'm sure that that office would point it out. Then there's also the issue that, you know, from time to time, CBC runs out of money. And so because it has... uh, three kinds of separate appropriations, one for operating, one for working capital, and one for capital, it has often needed to effectively move money from one pocket to another. So if the CBC is all that independent, why does it need Treasury Board's permission to move that money around? And if it's having to seek permission, what discussions are taking place around obtaining that permission? You, we can all imagine worst case scenarios, but even if it's not the worst case scenario, the f- simple fact is how independent does that make the CBC? Yeah, no, I, I, a fair point. Now, you, you, you mentioned a moment ago Canadian heritage and the reporting to Canadian heritage, but I think you've identified some, some issues there as well where heritage gets involved. You know, it's the CRTC that uh, exercises oversight, but heritage gets inserted into that process as well. Uh, Can you expand a little bit on how that happens? So uh, section 54 sub three requires the CBC to submit an annual plan to heritage, setting out its objectives for each of the next five years, along with CBC's strategy for achieving them. The question is why does the CBC have to explain to the minister 
for every each one of the next five years, its plan to achieve its programming plans, because I would have thought that that would be the responsibility of the CRTC, which hears the applications to renew its licenses and hears in particular its plans for programming. So aren't we kind of, it's almost like a double type of regulation. It has to go well, right now it's once every decade to the CRTC to say, here are our plans. Do you, the CRTC, the only regulatory authority established under the Broadcasting Act, do you uh, acquiesce to our plans? But then at the same time, every year, it's asking Heritage for permission to continue with its programming plans. Then there's another part of the Act that requires, that enables uh, the Minister of Heritage, along with the Finance Minister, to direct some or all of the money that the CBC earns or that its subsidiaries earn to the government's consolidated revenue fund. In other words, there's, there is always a hypothetical sword of Damocles hanging over the CBC because it has to wonder every year whether the Minister of Heritage or the Minister of Finance will require the CBC to return some of its money to the government. And let's see, there is also the point that we don't even know what the plans are that CBC is submitting to Heritage because they're not published. We might get an annual summary of plans, but we don't actually get the plans themselves, nor do we know anything about the discussions that heritage officials actually have with CBC's own officials when it comes to developing the plan, submitting the plan, and perhaps then revising the plan. We just don't know what's really happening in terms of these annual reports. Okay. So a, a lot of secrecy, a lot of people might be surprised to learn that uh, much of the reporting is in, done in summary form as opposed to the, the level of detail that, that exists within the CBC and at the government itself. Now, I'll admit that, that a lot of people may still come out of these examples unpersuaded. You know, supporters saying that of the CBC saying, yeah, some of these powers exist, but uh, there's no reason to think that they're not be, they're being exercised or they're not being exercised in a way that's inappropriate. Uh, whereas I suspect there may be some critics that, that will offer up and I told you so. You know, I, I, I'm curious, you know, why do you think when you look at all of this, both the government and the CBC appear at a minimum to be content to limit the amount of transparency and, and public reporting on some of these activities. You know, it is, after all, a public broadcaster. If it was a public company, there'd be certain level, certain expectations in terms of disclosure. And the statute builds in the potential for this disclosure, but it doesn't seem that um, in many instances that we get the get a full uh, a fulsome account of what's actually taking place behind the scenes. Not only behind the scenes, but also on air. And it's interesting because the 2021-2022 the annual report of CBC actually begins on the very first page with text by saying that it takes very seriously, and that's a quote, its obligation to be transparent and accountable to Canadians. And the chairperson in his note in the annual report actually says that, quote, independent and trustworthy news and information are vital to a healthy democracy end quote, and that CBC is committed to serving Canadians with accurate, trusted reporting. But there's an interesting aspect to this, and you would only know this if you had the luxury or the duty to go through years and years of CBC annual reports. The CBC in the 1980s reported extensively about the type of programs it was broadcasting on radio and television in English and French, 
whether locally, regionally, or nationally. You actually knew how many hours of original programming it was producing. Moreover, you knew how much those hours of program production cost. So you could figure out for a few years in a row the average cost per hour. And that way you could evaluate whether the CBC was being efficient or thrifty with its money. And since you also had some of the audience data, you could determine whether the, the it was investing its money wisely and serving its Canadian serving Canadians in a way that they would want to watch CBC television and listen to CBC radio. But here we are 40 years later, and there's next to no information about what the CBC is actually doing on air. And it's bizarre, particularly because people today are fundamentally different than they were 40 years ago because the internet. The internet has changed many, many things. I like that I don't have to carry so much cash around these days. But isn't it a bit odd that at a time when we have so much more massive computing power than ever before, CBC's annual reports don't tell us how much programming they produce, whether they whether programming for children, the hours of original children's programming, the hours of original or first-run news. If the CBC were so committed to transparency and to news as being the cornerstone of democracy, one might think that they would actually tell us how much news they are actually providing to Canadians, yet we never get that. Moreover, it could be, now you asked, why might they not be disclosing this? And I think there, the first is that getting that kind of information together takes time. It's, it's not necessarily easy pulling together the work of the thousands of people who work for the corporation. And I understand that. However, I think that it may be that there may, that, that there are other problems. And it could be that if you were a bit more transparent, not just about your programming, but your interactions with government, it could transform and threaten what is now essentially a very private and privileged relationship between government and the CBC. And the next problem might be that if the CBC were more transparent, it might lead Canadians themselves to reevaluate what they thought of the corporation, particularly in terms of its independence from government. Now, that relationship, the relationship between government and the CBC could be as one of my colleagues used to say, rainbows and fairy dust. It could be pleasant and enjoyable and, and not harmful at all. But the thing about transparency is that is that if you're willing to be transparent, it's usually because you believe in the notion that you are hiding nothing. So when you don't disclose and when you aren't transparent, it tends to raise fears. It raises questions. And in the end, I think where the where the corporation says that it believes that Canadians need news and information, why then don't Canadians need information about what the CBC is doing, how the CBC is interacting with government? Does it mean, in fact, that the corporation doesn't believe that Canadians are well-placed to evaluate what they think of the corporation in terms of its relationship with the government? I mean, that that, that, that's a tough question that you'd, you'd love to see CBC executives answer. You know, what, why don't we, we close with this? You, you, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, what should the CBC be doing? Uh, but you've highlighted a few things that it can do. But, you know, 
if, if there's more that you think the CBC should be doing, by all means, uh, you know, offer it up. But uh, we can also shift our, our gaze on the government. And obviously, we're, we're as we record this, Bill C-11 received its royal, received royal assent less than 24 hours ago from when we're recording this now. And obviously, we the subject a lot of, of hearings. There was some focus on the, C on the CBC. Certainly, the Senate had some ideas about what it wanted to see happen. But what could or should the government have done around some of these things to um, both bolster public confidence and transparency associated with the CBC when it went through this reform? And, and did it do much of anything? Or are we kind of in the same spot that we were before we started with these legislative reforms? Well, when the minister be, when the ministers began, and I think it was Minister Rodriguez who said when he was questioned about the lack of change with respect to the corporation, said that the part three of the act, which is the central part dealing with the CBC, would be addressed at a later date. And that, okay, that that I don't know how that would work, whether they're thinking of making a separate statute for the CBC or whether just revising the part three, whatever that might be. But but the problem for the minister, I think, and for the CBC is that every time, for instance, in, in every budget, if the CBC receives special funding and it's one-time funding, it raises the question, you know, it raises two, two different questions, each of which are legitimate. The first one is, you know, is CBC being rewarded for something it did or is it being paid to do something in the future? And again, this is not you know, I have nothing on which to say, oh, it's doing this or it's doing that. I'm raising the question that is brought about by the lack of transparency. But how could that, you know, as you say, how how could that be addressed? And there are a couple of ways. And the first way would be kind of the backwards way, which would be for the CRTC itself to report to Canadians about how it is implementing Parliament's broadcasting policy for Canada. That policy is set out in Section 3 of the Act. It's very detailed. And just to show you how quantitative I am, Michael, I remember the 1968 Act had 17 objectives. With Bill C-11, I estimate that there are at least 110 separate new objectives for the CRTC to somehow implement, and I wish it well. But one of the things that FRPC invited the, the House of Commons Standing Committee on Heritage and also the Senate Transportation uh, and Communication Committee to, to add was a duty for the CRTC to report annually to Canadians about the programming that is being broadcast in Canada so that Canadians could decide whether their broadcasting policy, that is to say, Parliament's broadcasting policy for all of Canada is being implemented. And that change was not made. I evaluated some time ago all of the CRTC's monitoring reports from 2007 through to, I think, 2021. And the problem is that out of all of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tables and charts and graphics in those reports, only three or four deal with the amount of programming being broadcast in Canada. They tell you a whole lot about the financial position of broadcasters, but broadcasters already know their financial position. What Canadians don't know is what is being made available to them and whether that programming is actually implementing the Broadcasting Act. Because if it isn't implementing the Broadcasting Act, either we should change the Broadcasting Act or we should change the policies to implement the Act. But the second thing is that nothing stops the CBC from telling Canadians what it is doing in terms of programming, 
why does it not publish every year basic data about the programming hours by programming type, by programming language? Why won't it tell Canadians just what it is doing with the $1.2 billion that Parliament grants to it to achieve Parliament's objectives for the corporation? It's a source of frustration. If you don't have, I think it was Yvonne Fitzan in the context of a CTV hearing, Yvonne Fitzan being then the president of CTV, who said, if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. And I think that's the state where we're in, that we have no information. So we don't know how CBC is managing. We don't know also how it's managing its relationship, its mandated legal relationship with cabinet, with the Department of Finance, with the Department of Canadian Heritage and with Treasury Board, along with the CRTC. We just don't know what is happening and we're left to speculate, which puts us all in an awkward position. Nobody likes to make public policy simply on the basis of speculation. Surely, you know, it's 2023, we should be making policy decisions based on sound empirical and objective evidence. Yeah, no, I think you made a, a strong case for that. This has clearly been an exceptionally polarizing debate, one in which it, it's almost difficult to participate in any sort of debate. It's on the one hand, if you for some, if you criticize or raise any questions about ind the independence of the, of the CBC, you're, you're attacking an institution, we heard. Uh, and on the other, if you say anything in support of, of the CBC, you're just uh, standing in for the government for what is seen as a, a biased broadcasters. And, you know, I think what you've succeeded in doing is sort of trying to find so, uh, another space for discussion that doesn't cast judgment necessarily on you know, on, on, on that issue, on this question of where, you, on where you ought to stand on the CBC, but rather saying, shouldn't we expect more? Uh, it sounds like not from the CBC, from our government and from our regulator when it comes to these issues. I, I think that's exactly the point. I think Canadians are entitled in 2023 to know a bit more. And I should, in the interest of, of disclosure, mention that, first of all, I used to work for the CRTC. And secondly, I also worked for the CBC in the 19 uh in the 1980s uh and early 90s so you know i have i have memories of working there as well and and i'm not approaching either this as a former employee of the commission or a former employee of the cbc but as somebody who's interested in in policy evaluation and public policy if we aren't evaluating what we're doing in terms of public policy we run the risk of first of all creating uncertainty where People need certainty to operate. And also just making us all wonder, what is what is the point of it all? Because if we're not operating to serve the public interest, then, then maybe <laughs> we're operating to serve other interests. And then in that case, since public taxpayer dollars are involved, aren't taxpayers entitled to know? And those are uncomfortable questions, but that's why that's why lawyers are employed so often because of the uncomfortable questions. All right. Well, I'm glad you're asking some of those questions and, and glad that you've taken the time to join me on the podcast. So thanks again for, for taking the time to, to walk through the kinds of ways that we could improve uh, CBC transparency and begin to answer some of the questions about what that relationship uh, looks like at a minimum behind closed doors between the government and the CBC. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at pobox.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod 
or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law Bites podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening and see you next time.